Well, good morning, everybody. Uh, this morning, we're going to start looking together uh, at the prayer that Jesus taught us to pray. The church has uh, called it the Lord's Prayer uh, or the uh, Our Father, and uh, both the gospel writers Matthew and Luke record uh, a version of it where Jesus teaches us how to pray it. And so for the next 10 weeks, uh, we're going to look at a different part of the prayer. And we're going to do that really just for one reason. We're going to do that to help us to be able to form or to nurture the habit of praying. I would like us to form that habit if we don't have it or nurture it if we do. So Luke tells us that one day some of Jesus' disciples were watching him pray. And when he finished, they said, hey, Jesus, teach us to pray. And uh, Jesus' response was not to give them a lecture on the theology of prayer and how prayer works. He didn't tell them, we'll start by thinking really big thoughts, great thoughts about God, and, and see if that leads you into prayer. Jesus' response was very simple and immediate. He said, when you pray, say this. And then he gave them a prayer to pray. So let me just say uh, right up front that we don't really learn how to pray um, by reading books about prayer or even by listening to sermons about prayer. We learn how to pray by being around people who pray and uh, by praying. So slowing down and examining the Lord's Prayer together is a way for us to be around the one who prayed it first. It is a way for us to listen to him as he prays, to think about what he meant as he prayed it, with an eye towards nurturing the habit of praying ourselves. So before Jesus taught this prayer in the Sermon on the Mount, uh, he gave some teaching on prayer, and that's what we're going to look at this morning. So let me read from Matthew 6 for us. I'll read Matthew 6, verses uh, 5 through 13. It's printed in the order of worship if you'd like to follow along there. And when you pray... You must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them. For your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. This is God's word, and it's given for our good. Let me pray for us. Father, we hear the, uh, the Old Testament lesson that we just heard, where the psalmist says that you, you incline yourself to us, that you inclined yourself to him. You heard his cry, and you put a new song in his mouth, and we ask uh, boldly that you would do the same for us right now, that you would incline to us, that you would hear our prayer, that you would put a new song in our mouth. 
Father, we ask that you would meet us in this word and show us your love for us in Jesus, and we pray it in his name. Amen. Well, in uh, Alfonso Cuaron's 2013 film, Gravity, Sandra Bullock plays an astronaut on her first mission, and her job is to uh, make some repairs to the Hubble Space Telescope. She never gets to do that, though, because a, uh, a debris field passes by um, the shuttle where she was operating, and it cuts her loose, and she just starts to tumble into the emptiness of space. <laughs> it is hard to imagine a worse thing happening in space, and the rest of that film is about her somehow trying to get back to safety. So incredibly, uh, she makes her way to this Russian space capsule, and her plan is to use that capsule to get to a nearby Chinese space station that's orbiting. But once she gets into that, uh, into that Russian capsule, she realizes that it's out of fuel. And uh, she is certain that that means the end, that means her end. Over the radio in that capsule, she hears a voice speaking from the space station. She can hear it, but he can't hear her, and she starts to cry. And as she cries, she talks. And this is what she says. She says, we're all going to die. Everyone knows that. But I'm going to die today. Funny thing to know that. But the thing is, I'm still scared. No one will mourn for me. No one will pray for my soul. Will you mourn for me? Will you say a prayer for me? Or is it too late? And it sort of dawns on you as she gets to the end and she starts asking those questions that she isn't really speaking to that voice, what she's doing really is praying. She's trying to make a connection. She is trying to be heard by something outside of herself. She is acting somehow on instinct. She is acting on the hope that she is not alone. And we are all uh, made like that, church. All of us are made like that. Every one of us in here this morning, part of being a human is to have a hope, it is to have an insistence that we, as humans, are not alone. Part of, part of our existence is to have a hope, it is to have an insistence that maybe we could know that other, and then maybe we could be noticed, and maybe we could be seen, and maybe we could be heard by him. And we have those things in us because God made us with them. It's like the program that's always running in the background that makes us look for God, even if we do uh, everything in our power to distract ourselves from it or pretend that it isn't there. It usually doesn't take anything drastic like, be, like being lost in space to look for God, to want to make that connection with him. Sometimes it happens in more everyday things, like just out looking at the moon, or when you hear that one song that you love and you don't know exactly why it is that you love it, or when you hold a baby or feel alone or feel tired. And this is where prayer comes in. Church, prayer is one of the things that God has given us to be seen and heard by him. 
and just as importantly, to see and to hear him. In the language of the church, prayer is one of the means of grace. It's one of the places where God has promised to meet with people like us and to share his life with us for our good. And he hasn't only given us prayer as a gift, he hasn't just given us prayer as a means of grace, he has graciously taught us how to do it too. And Jesus begins doing that by teaching first about two ways that prayer gets bent out of shape, two ways that prayer gets pulled out of shape and deformed. And the first way that prayer gets bent out of shape is when we're really not doing it to share our life with God. That's what Jesus is talking about in verses 5 and 6. But before we get to that, I want to just say something about this uh, part of the Sermon on the Mount. That's what the church has called this big block of teaching from Jesus in Matthew 5 through 7. In this part of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is teaching about what he calls practicing your righteousness. He calls it that back uh, in the first verse of chapter 6, practicing your righteousness. Now back in chapter 5, Jesus had been talking about what we sometimes call moral righteousness, right? Things that are interior to us, things that are not exactly observable to people. If you just look at someone, you don't know if they have it, things like kindness and purity and honesty and love. But here, now in chapter 6, Jesus talks about observable things, practicing your righteousness in giving to the needy, in prayer, in fasting, and in having a right relationship with our possessions. So I want to say a couple things about that. First, first, it is important to remember that we do not earn grace. Jesus is not teaching us that we earn grace by having these interior things. We don't earn righteousness by doing these exterior things. We don't earn it. We do not earn righteousness. We are made righteous by faith in Jesus. As the Apostle Paul said it to his friends in Philippi, if we follow Jesus in faith, we have the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that rests on faith. Church, Jesus' forgiving grace is a gift to people like us, and when that grace works in us, it changes us. It changes us, and it grows things like kindness and honesty and love in us. And it works things like caring for the needy and prayer and having a right relationship to our possessions. It works that kind of stuff out in our life. And it is important to understand that first before you hear the second thing that I want to say about this part of the Sermon on the Mount. And that is that Jesus absolutely assumes that people who follow him will do these things. (laughs) Not as a way of earning his grace, but as a matter of course as grace changes us. He doesn't say, hey, listen, if you would like to one day give, uh, give to the needy, if you'd like to give that a shot one day, then here, let me give you some ideas on how to do that. <laughs> Jesus says, when you give to the needy, this is how it should go down. <laughs> Jesus doesn't say in the Sermon on the Mount, hey, look, if, if there's a time in the future where you would like to, to give loving your enemies a shot, I know that's crazy, and it's really hard to do. I have some tips on how you can love your enemy. No, he says, I say to you, love your enemies. And the same thing with prayer. He isn't in the Sermon on the Mount publishing a little informational article for people who might want to pray one day and need a little reference. He says, when you pray, this is how it should go. 
His grace takes a shape in our lives. It always does. And our part is to put ourselves in the place of practicing what he tells us to do, of letting our habits be transformed by his love. Some of these the church calls virtues, some of these things the church calls disciplines, but whatever we call them, they are born and fueled by God's grace, and we should desire to see them in our lives as individuals, and we should desire to see them in the life of the church, our life together as a family. And prayer is one of them. So we get back to prayer, to the first way that Jesus teaches us that it can get bent out of shape. When you pray, Jesus says, you must not be like the hypocrites. For they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners. That word, uh, that word hypocrite was first used just to refer to actors. It was the way that you just said an actor. <laughs> but by Jesus' day, of course, that had morphed into a more pointed meaning. It became someone who acts or someone who speaks in ways that are intentionally opposite of what's actually going on inside them. Everybody knew what Jesus was talking about when he used that word. Maybe, maybe his hearers had a couple of hypocrites in mind when he said it. Now listen, standing, standing to pray was pretty normal in Jesus' day. In fact, Looks like it was the way most people prayed was standing. Scripture's filled with examples of people standing to pray. And it's clear um, that Jesus also stood when he prayed from time to time. Jesus also prayed a lot, and he prayed in public a lot, probably on the street corners. For sure, he prayed in the synagogues out loud where people could hear him. So it's not the mechanics that Jesus is warning us about here. It is the motive behind the mechanics. Why do the hypocrites pray like this? Why are they praying like this? Jesus says that they may be seen by others. And that's the problem. Prayer gets pulled out of shape when it's not intended for shared life with God. Prayer that's directed towards the eyes of others, towards the ears of others, it's something else entirely. Now, I have to say, I don't, I don't know too many folks um, that do exactly what it is that Jesus is talking about here. I mean, maybe, uh, maybe we've heard some preachers do it. Lots of uh, prayers that get depicted in pop culture are these kind of self-righteous prayers. But you don't see it out in the wild that much because we don't really live in a culture that values those kinds of expressions of piety. But the fuel behind it the thing that caused it to happen, the thing that causes stuff like that to happen now, that's everywhere, including in your heart and in mine. It's one of those other things about being human. It's just true about humans that we want to be right and we want to feel that we are right. And that's a good thing. <laughs> Because we have been made for that. That's how God made us. We, we weren't made to walk around. God never intended human beings to walk around feeling guilty or feeling ashamed or feeling incomplete or feeling lesser or feeling lost. That isn't how he made us. And so on our own, we'll do just about anything to regain that feeling of right. We'll do just about anything we can to try to restore that in ourselves it's why we uh, defend ourselves way beyond reason, why we defend ourselves way past where it makes any sense to do so. 
It's why we hate admitting that we are wrong. That's why we gossip. That's why we exaggerate the failings of others. Because if someone's worse than me, then maybe I can feel a little bit more right. It's why we lie about our accomplishments. It's why we lie about our relationships. It's why we lie about what our job is actually really like. Because even if we can't feel right, it helps us if other people might think that we're right. This thing is what drives the deep, uh, entrenched self-righteousness of, in our political life on the right and on the left and all the heat, all the theatrical anger that comes with it. And the truth is, if we can be honest, if, if we thought people might buy it, if we thought people might think better of us, we pray long, loud prayers in the streets too. And this stuff poisons us, church. It makes us unstable. And it makes us unable to love. And the antidote to that, the antidote to that is to remember, it is to believe with every part of who we are that we do not make ourselves right and there is no one else who can make us right. Like we just remembered a few minutes ago, if we follow Jesus, to follow him is to have the righteousness from God that depends on faith. We don't need to manufacture any righteousness on our own. We don't ever have to manufacture right or try to get right out of someone else as if we ever could. We can open up our hands and we can drop all that stuff, all the stuff that we do to try to manufacture our own rightness. And it's killing us anyway. It's hurting everyone around us. And Jesus' death and resurrection and ascension for us mean that we have all of the rightness that we will ever need because he has given us his. And that's the truth, church. That is the good news. And do you know one of the places where you're going to hear that good news again and again and again? Do you know a place where the Spirit frequently uses to, to say again and again and again, you are a daughter of God? Do you, know, do you know a place where the Spirit says again and again to you, you are a son of God? Do you know where our wills and our habits will be strengthened and changed to cling to Jesus' rightness and not manufacture our own? I'll tell you where, in prayer. In prayer, church. Because prayer is where we experience shared life with God. Prayer is one of the places where he reminds us who we really are and what he has done for us in love. And so, of course, that's why Jesus says that the antidote to self-righteous pseudo-prayer is to get off the streets and do the real thing behind closed doors. <laughs> Shut the door and pray to your Father in secret, Jesus says, and your Father who sees you in secret will reward you. Jesus doesn't uh, say what that reward is. But my guess that it is as varied and as intricate and as beautiful as all of the stuff that people like us might need from our Father. I don't know what you need from him. <laughs> I'm not sure, but I am sure that we will find out in prayer. And that leads directly to the second way Jesus wants us to know that prayer gets pulled out of shape. Prayer gets pulled out of shape when we do not really believe that the Father means that good for us that he will really do this when we pray. 
Don't heap up empty phrases like the Gentiles do, Jesus says. For they think they will be heard for their many words. This was pretty well-worn stuff in Jesus' day, in this culture that he lived in that was lousy with capricious, mercurial gods who loved to withhold. You never knew which one to pray for or to pray to for whatever it was you needed. So all you had to do was scramble and run around scared and cross your fingers and hope for the best. Marshall, who was a, a first century Roman poet, summed it up when he, when he offered this advice to people who wanted to get something from the gods. He said, let each one wear himself out with his petitions. Just wear yourself out. Pagan folks didn't pray that way because they wanted to. They prayed that way because they thought they had to. Because they thought that's, on, that's the only kind of prayer the gods who are out there will listen to. But what if there was a God who meant good for you? What if there was a God that you didn't need to trick into listening to you or manipulate into hearing you? What if there was a God who made you for a shared life with him? A father who knows what you need before you even ask him. Well, then we could talk to that God with simplicity and with open-heartedness. We could talk to a God like that with, with childlike trust, with faith. And I probably don't need to tell you this, but I'm going to anyway. <laughs> we will constantly be frustrated in prayer if we approach it any other way than that. And eventually we might just stop trying. So Jesus wants us to know, he wants us to know right at the top, right at the start, that the essence of prayer is to enter into a shared life with our gracious Father, the one who sees us, the one who knows us, the one to whom our prayers are a delight. Let's pray together. Father, we ask uh, that you would do whatever it is um, that you can and will do for people like us to believe that you mean that good for us and that you do indeed meet us in prayer, that you reward us in prayer, that you give us good things. Father, help us to be a people who form and nurture that habit. So let's pray the Lord's Prayer together. If you need it, it's uh, printed in the order of worship. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and power and the glory forever. Amen.